What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Coffee with a friend is like capturing joy in a cup. Welcome to the Coffee with Jenny B podcast, hosted by Jenny B, a lover of all things coffee. Each week, Jenny will chat about connecting over coffee, what brings her joy, and everything in between. A lot can happen over coffee, so grab a cup, sit back, and enjoy. Now, here's your host, Jenny B. Hello and welcome to the show. As you know, I love to support local businesses, especially local coffee roasters and coffee shops. My favorite, though, is to support a coffee roaster who also has a coffee shop. Now, there's a few of them in the city. Harrison's is one and Colossimo's is another one. But the one that I want to talk about today is Black Pearl Coffee. Now, I discovered Black Pearl Coffee, oh my goodness, this is probably almost 20 years ago when I discovered them on Dufferin in the North End. And I met Travis Boyd, who is the owner and coffee roaster of Black Pearl Coffee. And he is my guest today. So please help me welcome Travis. Hey, Travis. Hey, Jenny. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. I'm so happy that you're here with us as well. I mentioned how I discovered you, I guess, almost 20 years ago. And before we delve into the world of coffee and Black Pearl Coffee and your history and so on, I want to mention my first meeting with you because I came in and introduced myself and we were just kind of chatting. And I think you were asking what coffee you wanted, and I wasn't quite sure. And I remember that you pulled a shot of espresso, and I believe you put some caramel in there and a little bit of the foam, if I'm not mistaken. And you gave it to me, and you said, now this is the the best stinking good cup of coffee. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> that. And And because it was a shot, you know, so I downed it, and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. It was the best stinkingest stinking <laughs> I can't even say that <laughs> yeah that's okay it's it's a good thing that stinking could be a good thing I guess yeah <laughs> you're right stinky doesn't always have to be a bad thing in this case stinky was a good cup of coffee <laughs> yeah. that's funny that you remember that yeah the uh, the drink was called a breva and, and we do it with espresso uh, a foamy dollop of cream and then uh, either cane syrup or a nice little bit of shot of flavoring and uh, it's meant to be a, a short I guess you'd almost call it a coffee candy bar. It's actually quite pleasant. It's a it's a nice dessert and a midday pickup. Yeah, absolutely. you know what it, that describes it to a T. And the fact that I still remember that, and I and I still remember standing at the counter and trying it. And um, I mean, you know, almost twenty years later, and I still remember that that experience of trying that. And of course, I've 
you know, tried your coffees over the years and, you know, it never disappoints me. So how did you get started in the world of coffee? Well, this is a, this is a second or third career I have. I lived uh, in Olympia, Washington, oh, over 20 years ago. And that is Coffee Mecca. I worked in the medical industry and I, I traveled way too much. I wanted to come back to Canada. And uh, there was a coffee roaster close to me uh, who became my mentor, uh, helped me get started. I bought one of his old roasters and found a location here in Winnipeg and stepped off the curb and made it happen. It was it was quite a unique experience. I mean, uh, coffee is a beautiful thing. And it was, um, I mean, put a lot of faith in making it happen. I knew it would work. And and 23 years later, here we are. I mean, it's, uh, it's I'm really abridging it, but uh, that's sort of the way things got started. And it's interesting that you mentioned about being interested in coffee and then, you know, meeting somebody who is a coffee roaster. And that was enough for you to want to delve into the world of coffee. And sometimes it's it's following those instincts, um, something that you didn't think you knew or wanted or desired. And then when the opportunity presented itself, it's like, you know what, let's give it a shot. Now, did you expect that you were going to be in business still 23 years later? Or were you kind of hoping for the best? Actually, a little bit of both. Interesting you say that because I, right from the get-go, I, I, well, let's see, it was probably about 35, 36 years ago, I received my first French press when it was kind of a, a new thing. And so coffee's always been a wonderful thing. And this seemed like an interesting opportunity to do a career swing. And uh, I mean, a lot of people raised their eyebrows at me thinking I would just be opening up a coffee shop somewhere. But the roasting is art and science, and it's a wonderful thing to do. And I didn't see an end and I still don't see an end, which is kind of nice because I, I didn't think it was something I was going to try. I just honestly thought it was something I was going to do. And uh, over the years, uh, we've uh, a lot of trial and error. We've made some spectacular coffees and we've made a few stinkers. So not stinking, but stinkers. <laughs> and it's been a lot of fun. And we have uh, a lot of wonderful connections for green coffee and some really interesting input for roasting coffee. And um, I don't see an end. You know, it's wonderful to have a job you like to go to. And this has been, it's been a good ride and it's its going to keep going. I love that. And they say that if you're passionate about something and you love what you do, it's not really work. I mean, obviously it is because, you know, you have to pay attention to to the roasting process and everything when it comes to providing that quality product and you're right. It's a, it's an art. It is science. It's it's a symphony. It's it's everything wrapped up into one. You know, I think some people think, well, it's just a cup of coffee. Like, what's so special about it? But when you think about the process, you know, when you think about the process of where you're getting the beans, where you're sourcing the beans, you know, the farm where the beans come from, you know, you're dealing with distributors, then you're roasting it and and looking at the different flavor profiles and you know, and, and really putting a lot of love into what you do, because I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you've been doing it for 23 years. And as you say, you don't see any ending to it anytime soon. So it's it's a love project. And so tell me about the process that you put into roasting your coffee beans. Well, it's, uh, <clears throat> there's probably a few processes. I think one of the more interesting things that I still really enjoy doing is receiving green coffee and searching for green coffee. Now, green coffee, we call it green, but it's the raw coffee that we get. And it would come in 60 or 70 pound jute sacks from Central America, South America, Africa, Indonesia, wherever it comes from. 
but we seem to receive uh, samples. Plus, we uh, we seek out some of those samples. We examine the green coffee. Uh, we try to discover its sweet spot because <clears throat> you don't just roast a coffee light, roast a coffee dark. You try to find a way of drawing out all the best attributes of a coffee. That is probably the biggest challenge and most rewarding part of what we do here at Black Pearl. Uh, so the day-to-day process, uh, it is, it's ingrained now. Our staff has passion. We have passion. But managing green coffee and turning it into a roasted bean that then it turns into a wonderful elixir is an everyday highlight. Uh, it's I don't know what else I can say. Uh, searching out green and raw coffee is first and foremost. Uh, finding different brokers and consistency with coffee is a challenge. Uh, if I didn't like my job, it would be a problem. <laughs> but we treat it <laughs> we, we treat it as a challenge. It sounds nicer. <laughs> we encourage the people within Black Pearl to try to experiment with different coffees, different blends, and managing things. It's interesting. You have these two wonderful flavors in different coffees, and you you put them together, and it's sometimes they enhance, and sometimes they cancel each other out. So there's some unique surprises. We have and continue to do a lot of trial and error. I wish there was one formula. If you look on forums, everybody has an opinion. But really, uh, when it comes down to it, it comes down to a lot of experimentation, a lot of cupping and tasting, and a lot of trial and error. And, and that's what makes this such an exciting career is being able to do that. It's almost like the hump grows on your back in the lab and away you go. And, and I encourage that with everybody that's in here. Uh, so that is really what makes it exciting is rediscovering coffee every day, every week, every year. And the rediscover of what it is. And <clears throat> from crop cycle to crop cycle, uh, last year's crop 2023 versus this year's crop from the same farm, the same mill, the same region may be different. And it's finding a way of managing the formula of roasting that coffee to create the best taste we can. In some ways, it's like wine. Some years are better than others and similar with coffee. Some years are different than others. And you have to be able to recognize that and manage that. And that's what keeps us on our toes and learning here. That's one of the big rewards we have with roasting coffee here. I love that, you know, and the fact that it, it is magic. It's, you know, it's, it is an experiment. It's discovering something new every day. It's using your creativity in trying different things. And it's like, Hey, let's put this and this together. And as you say, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's a wonderful pairing and other times it cancels itself out. But the thing is, is if you don't try, you never know. And it's interesting as well that you compared coffee to wine, because I did an episode about, I mean, I didn't delve into a lot of the similarities and between the two, but I did actually talk about that, you know, where, when you talk about the same farm that, you know, this year's crop was great, but next year it might be different. And the same thing with wine, you know, when it depends on the growing, um, the soil, the, the weather, a lot can change the complexity of coffee and wine as well. And so it's working with what you have. Now, having said that, say you get a shipment of green beans and it's just not usable. Has that, has that ever happened to you? Well, we haven't had unusable coffee. We've had some unpleasant surprises. And uh, I've learned <clears throat> the hard way that um, you, you clarify that at the beginning. So instead of taking coffee on spec, uh, we create contracts so that the green coffee that we see a sample is the green coffee that we get. We've done a couple of things. One, sadly, we've sent it back, which creates a bit of an uproar. And two, we have in the past, and it hasn't happened in a number of years, 
is we've blended it down and redistributed it for people that actually need coffee. And it sounds like a goodwill thing. And uh, I guess there might be a, a feel good thing about it, but as a small business owner, it's a, it's an unpleasant expense that you try to make into somewhat of a feel good. But there are coffees that we get, uh, we call them single varietals or single origins, and but we also do some blending. So there's a way of slowly over time blending that coffee into something else, something we absolutely don't want to do. And I think the way to avoid that in the beginning is to start with specialty blend coffees or specialty grown coffees and fair trade organic coffees that are uh, from smaller mills uh, that have a little more attention to detail. So we stay away from commercial grade coffees because there can be a, a quite a surprise. So there's a number of grades and we try to look at that top 10% and try to work within that. Not always available, but that's what we do. We've taken a chance with a few uh, regional people that have brought coffee in from Central South America uh, into Canada themselves directly from family farms or farms and from Africa. We've taken a chance. Almost all of them have been very pleasant and it's nice to go more direct. So although it doesn't fall under a certified fair trade organic regime, it does fall under the forms going direct, farm direct, which is in some cases even better. So yes, we've had a few unpleasant surprises, but 93.2%, if I had to put a weird <laughs> number on it, have really, we've been very pleasantly surprised with the quality of most of the coffee we had. Now, there's been some some changes through the year where this is an El Nino year, so it should be interesting to see what the yields are in some of these countries. Boy, I tell you, it must have been 20 years ago. No, maybe 18 years ago, there was a tsunami that, that flushed over Sumatra, and I love Indonesian coffee. It's one of my favorite regions for coffee. It didn't affect the crop, but affected the infrastructure. So we see quite a rise in price of coffee like that, and it never really goes down, but it stabilizes. Uh, but you still have to support those regions that generate good product. So it's not a matter of getting coffee from somewhere you think is a good idea. It also has to meet a certain standard uh, that we follow. And you know what? You get the odd stinker and you have to deal with it. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. And it's important that you do have high standards, especially for coffee, because nobody wants a bad cup of coffee. And so having those high standards in place and knowing the farms that you're getting the coffee from or dealing with brokers that you can trust. Now, do you sometimes deal directly with the farms yourself or is it usually through a broker or a distributor? Uh, we do not go farm, farm direct. There is uh, uh, a local gentleman that we're dealing with and their company goes farm direct. So they're not going through a centralized broker or a large central warehouse. Oakland has a massive warehouse. New Orleans has a massive warehouse. New York and a number of brokers, sub brokers go through that. These people are about as direct as I could ever get. Uh, the, the challenge with going to a farm is freight. So if you wanted to go to a farm, let's say a farm in, I don't know, in Peru, you would basically need a container, about 40,000 pounds of coffee from a Singer mill in order to make shipping into Canada feasible. And that's, we did, we do, um, I think right now we have 16 different coffees. So that's, I mean, volume wise, that's unfeasible. So for, for us, finding somebody that's willing to bring it into North America and selecting from some of their offerings uh, is probably the best way, I mean, freight-wise and securing to make sure that we have the, the best product or the product that's been promised us. So going farm direct sounds very romantic, but unless you have a massive volume, which we do not, 
it is, it's not financially feasible. I'm being honest about it. It's just not financially feasible. Oh, of course. And and that makes total sense, you know, because at the end of the day, you're in business selling coffee and, you know, other, other items that we'll talk about in a second. But I mean, if you are spending money on bringing coffee in, that price has to increase somewhere. And I don't imagine that you want to increase the price any more than you have to. And you mentioned in Indonesia, you know, I remember that tsunami and that affected um, the beans coming from, from Indonesia and Asia and so on. I know that in the last couple of years, there were some issues in Brazil as well with coffee, which necessitated, I guess, raising or the beans were a little bit more expensive to deal with. And so when you are, I guess, faced with the different fluctuation in, in price for beans, does that make a difference in where you then look for beans or do you still go for the beans there, even though they might be a little bit more expensive or you sometimes look for beans that are perhaps a little less expensive, but maybe still not your favorite or, or is it a little bit of both? Well, it's a little bit of both, but mostly like Brazil grows currently about 27% of the world's coffee by volume. Now, most of it's commercial grade coffee. And you can say that almost every coffee growing region in the world grows some of the best coffee and some of the worst coffee. <laughs> so because it's from a particular country, doesn't make it good or bad. It's just, you have to select your way through it. When we lose um, a good example, Brazil was a frost and their prices went up and, and actually the, the current market hasn't really recovered from all of that and COVID didn't make it easy. But at the same time, you're in the same boat as everyone else. Uh, so if Brazil's a good example, if I find a coffee from Brazil that we enjoy and it fits what we're willing to do, the quality we will accept is um, sometimes we take it in the chin. You know, we... Um, we absorb some of that ex excess cost without passing it directly on to our retail clients uh, because it could be a valuable blender or it could be an important product that we want to continue to take. And um, we can't control the market, and nor do we want to. Uh, I think if we can get a price as fair as possible, it's not just price-driven. It's also, Jenny, it's also quality-driven. So quality quality does come at a price, and you have to be willing to to accept that. And, and I, I think that's very important. Uh, not to drop quality to save a few cents on a coffee in order to keep your, your margins where they are. We've still maintained uh, the quality of coffee we want to roast. And I think that's important uh, and to support those farms. And most of the higher quality coffee comes from smaller farms that put more time into growing and sorting and packaging their coffee. So that's sort of the market that we're in. Why There are areas where we have bought coffee where the coffee has either failed or it's been difficult getting out or it's been inconsistent. What you see is a sample is not what you get. And we skip those sometimes. Uh, other times the price has gone up so astronomical that we can't justify it. But we go to a, a different country. But we don't let price be the only indicator. It must be a quality thing as well. I love that. And, you know, quality is everything. And there's a saying, you get what you pay for. So if you're paying good price for a good cup of coffee, that's what you're expecting is a good cup of coffee. And that's true. And I think North America has a challenge and I know it's changing. The bottomless cup of coffee is keeping quality out of a lot of restaurants and cafes. You don't get a bottomless glass of beer. You don't get a bottomless glass of wine, right? You don't right. get a lot of bottomless stuff. So if a restaurant's offering you constant refills, that comes at a price and the price is usually quality. 
Mm. So it's not always a loss leader is they're finding the most inexpensive coffee uh, they they can find in order to continue to fill your cup. So I, I think buying a cup of coffee, enjoying it, and buying another cup of coffee will probably ensure a better quality of coffee. I agree with that. And I want to share actually something that just popped into my into my head just now. In um, 2019, I did a 60 Days of 60 Coffees journey for my 60th birthday. And one of the coffee shops that I went to, I won't say who it is, or it actually wasn't a, technically a coffee shop, it was a restaurant. And they were just opened. And the concept was really cool. And I stopped in to visit them. And because I was so intrigued by the concept and the decor and all the rest of it, I was expecting, you know, a really good cup of coffee. And I was so surprised to find that they were using a packaged coffee, you know, where you tear open the bag and put it in the, in the filter and brew coffee. And I was so disappointed. I thought with all the coffee roasters in Manitoba, you could have contacted someone you could have asked for them to create a special blend for your restaurant that you could then say, this is our special blend of coffee. And if you want to buy it, you have to buy it through us. And it just really surprised me that, that they, they didn't take it one step further. It's like when you go for dinner at a restaurant or you're at a banquet and the meal is superb. And then when you have that cup of coffee, it doesn't taste good. And it's such a letdown. I'm like, you know, I had such a good meal and now I have a, a, a less than delicious cup of coffee. And so it's a bit of a letdown. It is. And, and it's interesting because quite often the last taste in your mouth is a cup of coffee. And like you say, yourself and other people remember the fact that, wow, the meal was good, but the coffee was substandard. Now that may stop you from going back. And that's a, that's a, that's a possibility, but especially places that do evening meals, Good coffee actually generates more sales. If you know the coffee is good, you will stay for dessert. Okay, so it's one of those things where good coffee keeps people there, perhaps purchasing more, like a dessert. The thing about a coffee is coffee is a very, packaged coffee is a very controllable expense. And I understand it's in some cases that's fine. I'm by no means am I berating prepackaged coffee. If you have an opportunity to get something a little bit better, that's fine. But it's sold by packages or by pots. So if you know that a pot costs you X number of dollars, you can factor that into running your business. So not everybody has the option of creating better coffee, but if you do, by all means, uh, it is far worth it and people will return for uh, the coffee. It would be nice if we could do more special or custom blends, but then for some people, I'll be honest with you, it becomes a volume issue. They may not be able to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, generate uh, enough volume to justify having a certain size of, of roast so that they could get their custom blend. But it, it people can do it. It's a very possible thing. But if you stop treating coffee like a controllable expense and start treating it like a menu item, you'll find more people drinking your coffee. I agree. And my my point in bringing up this particular location is that it was a missed opportunity for them, first of all, not only to promote themselves as a, as a brand new restaurant, but also to help promote the coffee roaster. And, and I just think that when, when there's an opportunity for collaboration, it's a win-win for everyone, but it really elevates. So now you're coming to the restaurant 
and you're having that delicious meal and then you're having to drink just regular coffee. I mean, it was still okay. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't like horrible. I had to pour it out, but it, it wasn't. It was moderate. It was moderate. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's not a bad word, but it was moderate. And, and uh, if some, if a chef or a cook puts so much effort into a meal and ingredients and garnish and presentation, coffee can and may and should be part of that as well. And, and so you're creating a special effect with one moderate aspect, and that probably isn't the right way to approach it. We're on the outside looking in, and that's our feedback into it, but it happens more often than not. Coffee is a controllable expense is something that falls off a back of a truck, and we have to brew. Now, in some people's defense, which I'm just going to blabber on here because, really, <laughs> Jenny, I'm really good at it now that you've got me talking about coffee, because we have clients that come in, and they go, coffee is coffee is coffee. If you don't know the difference, I'm not talking about the restaurants, I'm talking about consumers sometimes, to the best of your knowledge, coffee is coffee. And to experience a different grade of coffee is actually can be very eye-opening. Uh, so it's a matter of having an opportunity to experience it um, or waiting for that opportunity to experience it. So some people haven't had a chance to really experience finite coffees. And it's it's an opportunity missed and an opportunity they can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I truly believe education is so important when it comes to coffee. It's it's understanding that, you know what, that two, three, five dollar cup of coffee that you're buying isn't just a cup of coffee. It's talking about the journey where that coffee comes from. It's starting with the farm. It's starting with the farmers in the community. And then it goes to the brokers and distributors and it comes to the to the coffee roaster. And so then you're roasting and everything that you've talked about in terms of the process of roasting coffee and blending and experimenting. And that takes time. It takes money because as, as you've mentioned, you know, some of it doesn't always work out and you try to make the best of the situation. And then you package the coffee and then provide it to the consumer who's coming in and buying the coffee to drink or taking it home. And so there's a lot that goes into it. And there's a lot of decision-making in terms of what kind of beans are you using? And, you know, do I, do I mix it with these particular beans? And, and you talk about specialty coffee, you know, you're not just talking about, you know, run of the mill coffee beans that you might find at some fast food places you want that really good cup of coffee. And, and you know, the taste of coffee is in the aroma. I know, I know a lot of people don't realize that. They think that as soon as they take that taste of, or that sip of coffee, but it's that aroma that, you know, gets your senses kind of tingling in, in anticipation of having that, that sip of coffee, that perfect sip of coffee where you take it and it's going, oh, you know what? It just fills you with so much happiness. Well, that's for me. <laughs> no, that's for a lot of people. It's funny you say that because our olfactory senses, uh, anytime we smell something, you go into an environment, because uh, coffee is one of the most recognizable aromas in the world. You don't have to drink coffee, but you can recognize it anywhere. So, and And better quality coffee and freshly roasted coffee has more aroma. And it makes it makes a really big difference. And it's funny, the easiest thing through the whole coffee trail from planting and picking and cleaning and sorting and drying and packaging and, and shipping and roasting, the easiest thing in the whole coffee uh, chain is brewing. So the end consumer, the easiest thing they have, the hardest thing they have to do is select what they want. And the easiest thing to do is brewing it. So if you look at the trial and the manpower and the effort that coffee goes through, 
in order for you to buy a package of coffee. All the work is done for you. All you have to do is select a coffee and brew it. And I know that sounds simplistic because there's a, a ton of information on how to brew and the best method of brew. And everybody has, you know, the best next thing since chocolate milk. But the work that goes into getting coffee to your cupboard is phenomenal. And you have to have a certain appreciation for that. And once coffee is sorted even more and picked even more and the quality goes up accordingly, that much more effort goes into it. It's worth the value. It really, really is worth the value. It is. And it's also about consistency because if I'm buying coffee from you, I know that I'm going to get good quality coffee because you put a lot of care and attention into the details of the beans, the process and everything that we've just talked about. I'm never going to be disappointed by buying coffee beans from you because I know that there's that consistency. And I know that when I open that bag and I smell the beans and I can just, and then I start brewing it and then have that cup of coffee, it just completes everything. And, and it just makes me happy. Well, and a good example is this morning, uh, we came in a little bit earlier and we did a formal cupping, which is something we do frequently. So we had an opportunity to cup the coffees that we have and decide whether or not they need to make an adjustment. Now we find that roast uh, roasting coffee in August is different than roasting coffee in January. And people kind of shrug, but you know, Winnipeg's no warm worldwide for having the coldest winters and the hottest summers. And that, that temperature swing also affects factors in roasting coffee. So we do some trial and error by cupping and keeping our palates up to tune so that we know we can create our coffee, coffee, um, we can keep it very consistent and, and flowing to the grade that we expect it to be. As for cupping, I mean, of course, I know what that is, but, you know, explain to my listeners who may not know what cupping is and why do you do that? Well, I think more people are probably familiar with wine tasting, where you identify what they would call the bouquet or the nose of the wine. Uh, you would sip and expectorate or sip and swallow wine, and you would go through a variety of wine. Coffee cupping is similar, but a little messier and a little more violent. <laughs> we do the same thing. So there's two things we don't think of coffee. One is when we grind a coffee for cupping or grind it for brewing, the smell we get offered is actually called the fragrance. And that's the fragrance that's naturally coming off the coffee. When the water hits it and we smell it as it's brewing, that's the aroma. So when we are cupping, we identify the fragrance, we identify the aroma, and then from that we identify a number of values, uh, the body, the balance, the taste. So when we have a cupping sample, we put it into a cupping spoon, which is like a round, almost soup spoon, a silver spoon, and we violently sip it in, we schmatz it and expectorate. So it's a big slurp and it's a hard, we fill our olfactory senses, and then we have a cupping report that we decide and discuss what we're getting out of the coffee. So if we have something new and unique, a coffee that we're maybe trying to profile into our roaster, is we will cup it several times in, in different small batches to see when we can find the the ideal balance of that coffee when we when we're uh, when we're roasting it. So cupping is a very important part of what we do, and it's great education for people that are either new to coffee or want a bit more. Because sometimes you'll have a cup of coffee, and it'll taste so good, but you don't know why. It just has something that makes you happy. Wine does the same thing. Every so often you'll drink a wine, and if you don't have the verbiage or the experience, it's something you enjoy, but you wish you could define why and how you enjoy it. And cupping allows us to do that, defines why and how we approve or disapprove of a particular coffee. 
Mm-hmm. And that gets to the tasting notes. So when, when you talk about, you know, going through all the fragrance, the body, the balance, et cetera, and you're all cupping, is it a decision that everyone comes to is like, oh, that tastes, those toffee or, or orange or whatever the tasting notes, or is it a consensus that, well, it sort of tastes like, so how do you decide on the tasting notes for the bag of coffee? Well, that, that's interesting because your taste buds will be different than my taste buds. Okay, so so we will both identify citrus as an example, but citrus has a lot of different variants, right? I mean, it could be a strong lime, could be a smile orange, uh, a mild orange, it could be a kiwi, an under notes. So identifying citrus, identifying nut, identifying a few very basic elements are the beginning of cupping. And then from there, you can, if you focus on them, you can create a, the next level of, of, of uh, a description of what it's going to be. So the idea behind learning the cupping is finding out basically what it is, how the body feels in your mouth, whether it, it's, and chocolate's another one, dark chocolate, a medium chocolate, whether it's citrus, whether it's nutty, uh, whether it's mellow, uh, whether it's a little harsher. So summer, summer sensations and summer flavors. So as you cup, you get more definition. Uh, and when we start to cup as a group, we discuss every coffee. And sometimes you, if I help you define what you're feeling or tasting, that helps you. But normally cupping is done silently. I recognize what I recognize. You recognize what you recognize. But the basis aspects of it, whether, again, we'll go back to just leave two simple things, citrus and nutty. We can both normally identify those as one being a higher note or a lower note. And then from there, we educate ourselves to be, to create more definition. Okay. That's quite the process. And thank you for explaining that. And again, you know, when you think about the process of bringing the coffee in and the roasting and so on, and then now going through the cupping, you know, there's, there's time that's, that is spent and you can't rush it because you want to make sure that you're getting it right and testing. And it's like, and then it could be, well, it's not quite right. So we need to perhaps change the profile. We need to add a different kind of a bean or whatever it is that you're doing to find the profile that you're looking for. And so there's a lot of thought, a lot of care, and a lot of attention to detail that in the end produces that really delicious cup of coffee that we all want. Exactly. And that, like I said, that's the challenge and the, and the enjoyment in this job is, is accepting the fact that not every coffee is the same and wanting to create something that is what we would consider palatable. Now, if, if my taste was what everybody wanted, Jenny, we'd have one coffee and that's not. (laughs) So we have a few coffees that I appreciate what they are, but they're not my taste. I still have to respect those coffees. Uh, and I, we have to give them a fair shake. And so, Understanding that and going through that whole process is um, sometimes it's interesting. Now, most people here have, I'm partial to a certain coffee. You would be partial to a certain coffee. And when we're cupping, that is, that's my baseline and that is your baseline. And it's surprising how we work from two different baselines and can still come up with similar profiles once we've cupped the coffee. So you need a starting point that works best for your palate. I have a starting point that works for my palate. But when we start discussing the coffees we've cupped, it's it's quite interesting. We're usually fairly similar. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) 
Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Speaking of your favorite coffees or the ones that you have respect for, one of my favorites from from you is uh, the Peaberry. What is your favorite of the coffees that you roast for Black Pearl? Well, what I have right now for me, my favorite coffee is Sumatra Mandeling. There's a few different Sumatras again, but Sumatra Mandeling is the one we have now. I love Indonesian coffees because they are, it's the part of the processing. When coffee is picked, it's like a cranberry, about the size of a cranberry. It has a skin, a mucilage, a parchment, and then the coffee seeds are inside. A lot of them are washed and dried. Uh, and a lot of Indonesian coffees are allowed to sit so that the water's reduced, and they call that a dry process or a semi-dry process coffee. That usually gives it a heavier berry note, uh, some earthy undertones. It creates a very savory, complex coffee. That's my preference. It's just one of those coffees that I like. When you talk about pea berry, the pea berry we have now is a Tanzanian pea berry. And for those that may not know a pea berry, a coffee cherry generates two seeds orientated like a peanut. They call them flats, flat side to flat side. And every so often a cherry will generate one small round seed, and that's called a pea berry. So the thought behind it is, is all the goodness in that cherry goes into one seed in the pea berry. So we quite often find pea berries uh, have a big body to them and usually have a, a citrusy, fruity undertone. Pea berries, I find, usually roast a little lighter, um, and they're quite a bright coffee. So pea berries are unique unto themselves, uh, but those are usually what we end up seeing pea berries becoming. I like that heavy, berry, earthy undertone of coffee. I like the complexity, and I like a heavier aroma when the water hits it. That is just my preference. But when I we look at Indonesian coffees, we talk about Sumatra. We consider Papua New Guinea part of the Indonesians. I know it's a little off, but we've put everything into maybe five different loans in the world. But we've also had coffee from Java and from Sulawesi. And they've always been on my favorite part of the things on scale. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and I actually do enjoy Sumatra. The only Sumatra I won't drink is the one from Starbucks. I, I, I don't know why to me it's so different than the Sumatra that I can get from, from you or, you know, Colossimals also has a nice Sumatra and, uh, but there's something about the heaviness from Starbucks and, and I, you know what, I'm a Starbucks gal. I used to be a barista. So, you know, I'm not dissing Starbucks at all, but it's that the one there, that's the only coffee of theirs that I don't like. But when you say about, you know, the, the darkness, I, I love a dark roast. I love the, the, you know, like, um, you drink a really good, you know, heavy bodied wine, you know, like, um, you know, Cab Sav that has the heaviness and has a little bit of this sort of the, the, the sharpness if you will. But when you think about, you know, the Tanzanian coffee and something a little lighter, I find that the brightness, maybe that's what it is. It's the brightness or the citrus notes. You know, this is why I like Ethiopian coffee because I, I find that it is a little bit more of that, that citrus note that I really enjoy. And so it's not that, you know, I have to have dark roast all the time, 
but I like to kind of mix it up a little bit, but it's really, again, getting back to that quality cup of coffee that I'm looking for. And, and as soon as I, as soon as I open the bag and I smell the beans, I, I already know that this is going to be wonderful. Well, it's interesting you say about opening a bag. And I don't think a lot of people realize that coffee has a good shelf life, but it is a semi-perishable food. So if you have a cabin and you stored coffee from last summer and you open up the cabin this year and the coffee seems a little flat, it's true. Uh, there with availability to roasters and stores, there really is less reason to stockpile products like coffee. Uh, and to try to get it as freshly roasted as possible. That's where your aroma will continue to come from, or your fragrance off the coffee will continue to come from, and the fact that your coffee is aromatic and flavorful when you're brewing it. So there's something to be said about that, but we we know we've had, you've had a stale walnut before. So coffee has soluble oil, walnuts have soluble oil. When the oil in a walnut goes, the walnuts become flat and then rancid. Coffee can do the same thing. And uh, every so often you'll have a coffee that seems off and usually it's because of age. Okay. That makes sense actually, because you're right. It's a perishable product and we won't get into freezing versus storing it. You know, that's a whole lot of the conversation, but you know, it's treating the product with respect. You know, you're not going to buy a, a pound of coffee and then throw it in the cupboard or throw it in the freezer and then bring it out and, and think that it's still going to be the same because they, the consistency, the the complexity, the the taste, you know, it's it's stales. I mean, because people don't realize that there's a there's an oil on the coffee. And when it dries up, it then it's just not the same. And so it's really respecting the fact that it is a perishable product. Oh sure, of course it is. And and uh, and you'll even find for some palates of, of our clients is from the beginning of a bag of coffee to the end of the bag of coffee, they will know finite differences as the coffee ages. So there, there can be that much difference in that short of a period of time. And, and really it's just a matter of how much do you want to enjoy coffee and how much do you need caffeine infusion? I guess is the way to look at it. Because <laughs> for some people, that's true. Caffeine is, uh, we, coffee is an acquired taste. We don't, we don't grow up thinking, wow, coffee's awesome. Usually it's a couple of things. One is you're studying at school. You need to stay up late. Another thing is it feels like you're drinking an adult beverage. There's a number of reasons why we start drinking coffee. But coffee is an acquired taste, and if you acquire a taste for good coffee, it's hard to go back. And um, so, yeah, I think that's a big part of it, is, is how much do you want to enjoy it and how much do you need infusion? You know, that's, a, that's actually a really good distinction. Now, I want to mention something that I found on your website when you're talking about coffee. So from wild to mild, <laughs> I love that, Black Pearl roasts some of the finest the world has to offer. Wild to mild. Now, of course, we all understand the mild coffee, but what constitutes a wild coffee? Well, wild coffee are two things. One is exotic. We've roasted coffee from Nepal. We've roasted coffee from China. We've roasted coffee from Dominican Republic. Uh, We've had some really interesting coffee from wild areas. But if I can get back to Indonesian coffees, because of a dry processed coffee from Sulawesi, it does have a very wild taste to it. You can really taste the earth in it. You can almost taste um, like a yeasty from a bake, uh, from let's say baked bread. There's an undertone of that. I mean, it's really quite interesting. So wild is two things. One is the origin and two is the funky taste that come out of some coffee. Not all coffees are equal. 
And then the milder things, like a good example again, is Tanzanian peaberry. It is a little bit softer. It's very fruity. It has a big body, uh, but it has a very mild finish. So mild to wild can include almost anything within the realm of the coffee world. But um, I do like the wild stuff. It just seems a lot more fun to roast. <laughs> I can imagine. And it's also fun coming up with the names for the coffee, isn't it? Well, it is. I don't know. And of course, a little bit of a jab here. I don't know if any of you have ever read a, a Lee Valley catalog, but it's just fascinating the descriptions that they have. And and sometimes when we look at names of our coffee, like Kopi Pulau is a coffee that we don't have right now because one of the blenders we have no access for. But we looked at an Indonesian translator and Kopi Pulau means coffee island. And so we look at one or two things that really stand out in a coffee and we give it that descriptor that makes it so when you drink it, you go, I get it. So we have planted the seed of hopefulness, but at the same time, <laughs> we try to, we try to find just a few very simple tastes and feelings that that coffee gives you. I mean, there's a lot of complex description on coffee packaging. Um, and it can be done. Um, simple is better. And then people can go from there on their own. They can make up their own mind in terms of what they think. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. One more thing I want to talk about, and, and this is actually something that I really appreciate the fact that you do this, is that you offer coffee fundraising. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's actually our coffee is a fundraising vehicle. Uh, there's a lot of different fundraising things out there. I mean, from, you know, God bless the chocolate almond to cookie dough to a number of different things. No, but we use coffee as the fundraising vehicle. So we customize a pledge form for your particular coffee fundraiser. Um, we usually pick four coffees. Uh, you sell the coffee and that's your vehicle for earning. And what we have found, it's funny, the younger the group, the better the sales, because we have found with daycares and elementary schools, as an example, and young sports team, the parents are the people that are selling the goods. So it's parents selling an adult beverage to parents. So it's pretty, actually pretty easy, <laughs> but it's a, it, coffee is a high rate consumable. It's something you, most houses have. So if you look at the number of adults or people or parents or high school students, all of them have coffee in their house. Most of them are consuming it. So it's an easy high rate consumable to sell as a fundraiser. The margin is good and most fundraisers generate additional fundraisers. We, haven't booked new fundraisers in December for about six or eight years. December's booked every year uh, for Christmas fundraising gifts. It's um, the margins good. We've seen a lot of teams succeed or schools succeed. And we've seen a lot of repeat fundraisers because it's an adult fundraiser that has a decent margin. Mm -hmm. And it's an easy sell. If you're a coffee drinker, it's a really easy sell. <laughs> Or easy buy, I guess. I don't know. Well, easy buy. That's right. <laughs> I love that you package your coffee. So you, I remember the, the the bright green foil. And I can't remember if you had a red foil for your coffee at Christmas time or not. Mm -hmm. We do. Uh, at Christmas, our half pounds are in funky green foil. And we do a holiday blend every year, starting at the end of October, right through till the new year. And that's in a bright red foil package. So it it does have some celebration to the package. Our packages now are square bottom black matte bag um, that look very coffee, but we find times of the year and it's a little more festive to, to have a nice bright foil package. And it's, and for fundraisers, we we have usually have a gold bag and, and that's nice to receive that as a fundraising goodie. Mm -hmm. Yes. It, you know, it's all about presentation. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. I love that you sell your coffee in one pound bags. Well, that itself is a conversation. When, 
people our age, Jenny, and, and younger, it doesn't matter. <laughs> when we buy a package of coffee, it's funny, we call it a pound. I'm going to go buy a pound of coffee. People now are starting to call it a package, but a lot of people for a number of years have always thought a package of coffee as a pound. So we continue to sell in pounds. Now, there's a lot of packaging now, and of course, we're more aware of it now in the near future, that shrinking volume, same size package, eventually package changes. And, and that's how they've managed to put what perceives to be a price issue. But one pound of coffee in a one pound package does an average household one to two weeks, pretty standard fare. Um, uh, but if you're looking at packaging, and of course, we look at nutritional ingredients, but we should also look at volume within packaging. So we will continue to be in one pound, 454 gram, half pound, 227 grams, kind of forever. And and that has been the standardization for home consumption of coffee for a number of years. And I don't see a reason to change it. Okay. And I don't mind that other roasters offer. Um, I've seen 200 gram, 300 gram, mm-hmm. and that's totally fine. Sure. You know, and and it's packaging and, you know, some of the smaller roasters, I mean, it's the cost of doing business. Of course it is. And, and we have a number of half pound, 227 gram clientele that come in and buy their one or two people in a household come in and buy half a pound every week. And that's their consumption rate. And, and you're absolutely right. That's That's good. But at the same time, we should be aware of what is in our packages. But I just think one pound is kind of the nice size that we've always started in. And I think I'm just going to stay there. And I agree. And for me, I have a container that fits a one pound, <laughs> one pound bag of coffee beans. And when I'm running out, I, I open a bag, fill my jar and I'm good to go. It's funny you say that. We had a client a years ago. He was a psychologist and his wife said he will only take his container. A very, very, very particular person with his coffee. He had a container that only carried 12 ounces. And so we would free, at one point we used to free pour coffee. We, everything's prepackaged now. We package as soon as we roast it. But I would always put 12 to 14 ounces in this bag and sell him 12 ounces of coffee. So some weeks it wouldn't fit his particular container and some weeks it would. And that was a bit of a jest on my part, messing with the psychologist's head. So <laughs> it, it, I probably did it for about eight years before I finally confessed that I was messing with him and he never did catch on. So, <laughs> so your favorite, your favorite container, maybe not be always the best thing. So. No, no, definitely not. But you know what? Why not have fun? It doesn't have to be serious. And coffee is a fun thing. You know, when you want to get together with people, it's like, Hey, let's go for coffee. And whether they drink coffee or not, it's an opportunity to get together and, and enjoy each other's company and, you know, coffee is such a, a great conduit. It's a very social beverage. And, 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 and there's two ways. You're right. When you, when you go to have a drink with somebody in, in the daytime, it's usually let's grab a coffee. Whether it's coffee or not, it's actually actually the term for the break or the meeting that you want to do. And it's interesting that a lot of businesses use coffee for that reason. If you go into a business and let's say, okay, probably not the best example, but let's say you go to buy a car. And you need time. The first thing they do is put a coffee in your hand because it slows you down and it makes you converse. So not even realizing it, that's what a cup of coffee in your hand will do for you. If you're going to meet people, it's something to cradle. It's something to covet. It's something to enjoy. So coffee is just naturally a very social beverage. Absolutely. And I think about the history of of the coffee break. I think it was in Italy. I remember reading this that the employees were, I guess, the productivity was uh, was running low. And so they thought, oh, well, you know, give them espresso to give them that jolt of energy. And and I think that's when the coffee break 
came by. So give them a break, let them enjoy the coffee, and then they have enough energy so they can get back to work and then increase that productivity. And so, you know, thinking about a shot of espresso, you know, when I need that that uh, jolt of energy, that's the best thing in the afternoon. You know, you, by around three o'clock when you're either craving sugar or you want something, you, you're not quite sure what it is. And and just that shot of espresso does the trick. Yeah, and sends you over the end. It's interesting you say it because the in a lot of businesses, the morning break and the afternoon break in a business is called a coffee break. So it does. Been, and uh, being in Italy, having been in Italy, it's interesting because on the way to work, you stand at a coffee bar with a porcelain cup. You get your saw, shot of espresso and a little bit of water and you move on. So they move quite quickly through their coffee and they may do that one, two, three, four, five times a day. So I find it interesting that even if it's very, very brief, they found a reason to stop long enough to consume it. So it's quite, quite different. And it's interesting that North America supersizes everything. Uh, I was just in Europe a few weeks ago and the coffee was what we would consider fairly pricey and the volume was relatively small, but the satisfaction was so high that it was a properly brewed smaller portion of coffee that was delicious. And people come back from Europe and they go, the coffee is so good, but it's expensive. And we take that same amount of coffee and we put it in a 16 ounce mug and we slowly slurp it down. So I, I, I think creating smaller sized beverages, having them more frequently for me at least is more satisfying than drinking a great big mug of coffee. But we, we do make things larger here and it's not always necessary. And coffee is one of those things that doesn't have to be that large. No, it doesn't. And I mean, you know, to be fair, sometimes you do need that big cup of coffee. You know? Oh yeah, it's it's an extension of your arm, and that's that's <laughs> Jenny. That's a survival thing, okay? <laughs> but you know what? But if I want to on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, I want to relax and really savor my coffee. It's not a big mug of coffee that I'm savoring. It's it's I have a favorite mug that fits just perfectly in my hands, and I sit there and I sip it and I savor. Versus, I've got that big mug of coffee I'm teaching that day, and I just. I, I need my caffeine. So I fill my thermos and off I go. And then I'm drinking coffee. I mean, it's still good coffee because I mean, I, I don't have bad coffee at home, but I'm not taking the time to enjoy it as much as I would if I was, say, you know, reading the paper or just sitting there and looking out the window and, you know, and just enjoying the moment. So there's different ways that you can really enjoy the coffee. And uh, yes, it's a need, but it's also a desire to, fill your, for me, it's, it, it fills me with happiness and joy. That's all I can say. I'm the same way. I mean, I, I agree with you and you're right. It's funny when we first started the business, business would die in the summer. It'd be very slow because people have left town. We're kind of in late country. So a lot of people are gone through their weekends or whatever the case may be. But we have also found now that in May long weekend, when people started opening up the cabins, they start doubling up their coffee because they have late coffee. And it's interesting over the years talking to clients that come in that they drink coffee different at the lake. And you kind of touched on this versus in the city. In the city, they get up in the morning, they go to work, they make their gold mug, they go to work, they come back down, they stop at the coffee. But at the lake, they make a pot of coffee, a cup of coffee, an espresso coffee. They sit down, they savor it, they consume it, they rinse and repeat. So ways of consuming are very different where you're always on the move in the city if you're working. And then when you go to the lake, you actually take time. You eat your breakfast slower. You drink your coffee slower. You take time to consume and enjoy it. So, yeah, you make a good point. You're reading the newspaper on a Sunday and you want to kick back and, and you have a relationship with your coffee. And during the week, 
you know what? Your coffee is your backup. It's your vice president, right? (laughs) (laughs) That, you know what? I never quite thought of it that way, but you're right. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's my, it's my go-to friend, you know, it's my buddy that I can, I can rely on to uh, keep me propped up and going. And it will keep your secrets. So. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I think (laughs) this is a good way to end our conversation about coffee. So thank you so much, Travis, for being on and, and um, sharing your story, talking about coffee, talking about your process talking about the importance of processing and picking beans and specialty coffee and and putting a lot of your love and care and attention and making sure that you're providing a good quality product for your customers. And speaking for myself, we appreciate it very much. Well, good. I appreciate it and I've enjoyed it the time with you and I enjoy getting back to work and roasting more coffee. So it's been wonderful, Jenny. And uh, anytime you want to chit-chat, uh, about our legal addictive substance that's actually good for us, you just let me know, okay? Definitely. And I'll come in for that stinking cup of coffee. Yeah, come in. I'll make you another stinking cup of coffee. My pleasure. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Travis. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you. So until next time, when you're thinking about buying something that is local, that is high quality specialty coffee from someone who puts a lot of care and love and attention into providing that perfect coffee bean for that perfect cup of coffee, I highly recommend trying Black Pearl Coffee. You can find them on uh, the website. You can order at blackpearlcoffee.ca or you can find them on Dufferin Avenue. And uh, what's the address on Dufferin? Our address is 460 Dufferin Avenue, just on the north side of the Salter Street Bridge. 460 Dufferin. They're open between Tuesday and Saturday. So I highly recommend trying their coffee. You won't be disappointed. Thanks so much for listening. If you like Coffee with Jenny B and want to know more, connect with Jenny on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. That's Jenny with a G. Until then, all you need is joy and more coffee. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.